that first Easter Sunday starts early. It's still dark. Just to imagine everything silhouetted. It's almost silent. Apart from some slow, sad footsteps. As Mary Magdalene walks towards the place where she knew Jesus' body had been buried. I wonder what she's expecting to find when she gets there. I wonder what's going through her mind as she makes that journey. Nothing perhaps prepared her for what she sees when she gets there. And we heard it at the start of our service. Beginning of John chapter 20, halfway through at verse 1. We're told Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Suddenly Mary, who had taken those silent, slow, sad footsteps, suddenly begins to run. And you can imagine Mary bursting into the room where uh, Peter and this other disciple, uh, it's likely John, were. Uh, and, and it almost coming, her words coming out so fast that they're, they're hard to understand as she's catching her breath. As she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. What started as a silent, sad, slow morning has suddenly become a breathless, chaotic, running kind of morning. Suddenly, uh, Peter uh, and John start from the tomb. We're told, verse 4, both are running. But John outruns Peter. I don't think they were particularly having a race. It's probably uh, that just John was a little bit younger. He outruns Peter. He reaches at the tomb and he stops. And he peers in. And he sees the strips of linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in just, just lying there. At which point uh, Peter blasts past him. Straight into the tomb. Perhaps giving uh, John the confidence to come in as well. And again, they see these strips of linen lying there. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And we're, we're told just lying in its place, separate, as if, as if Jesus' body had just passed through these, these wrappings. He didn't need them anymore. And we're told that when John saw this in verse 8, very simply, he saw and he believed. At that moment, for John, something of the penny drops. He realizes it's not that Jesus' body has been stolen or taken away. So Jesus is alive. He realizes in that moment that Jesus, he was the one who turned water into wine. He was the one who, who turned a little boy's picnic into a great feast. And he's the one who turns death to life. In that moment, he realizes it. And, and so we expect this story to suddenly uh, pick up uh, pace and get even faster. What started off slow and sad and silent has become uh, chaotic and fast-paced. And we, we expect suddenly there to be a great uh, excitement and a great announcement. If Jesus is the one who turns death into life, what happens? Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. The news that Jesus is alive doesn't suddenly get them moving again, does it? We, we expect them to be loud, excitable, to be dancing, and, and yet they go back to the place where they were staying. Seems a bit strange, doesn't it? And the same is true for many people today. If I, if I were to ask you what percent of the UK population do you think uh, believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder what number would spring into your mind. Well, according to a 2002 uh, survey um, done by Hope, uh, Hope Together, um, they discovered 45% of the UK population believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's a, a far higher number than perhaps I was expecting. I don't know what number was in your head, but it's, it's, it's higher. And so it means there's lots of people around, and maybe some of you here uh, this morning, who believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but have yet to fully grasp all that it means for you. Jesus being alive hasn't yet made the big difference to your life. And perhaps like the disciples, you've just ended up staying where you are. That's why John chapter 20 doesn't end there. It would be a complete anti-climax, wouldn't it? They see, John believes Jesus is alive, and then they just go back to see how things work. No, we get these three stories, these three encounters with the risen Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit has given them to us so that we might begin to grasp what it means for Jesus to be the one who turns death into life. Because if we grasp it, we realize there are some big Big implications uh, for us. Three stories of people uh, meeting the risen Jesus. We've got Mary. We've got the disciples in the lock room. And we've got the disciple who just turned up too late. Thomas. Mary. How does Mary respond when she discovers that Jesus' grave is empty? Well, she runs to tell the other disciples and then... Uh, she returns with them. And as Peter and John go home, back to how things were, we find in verse 11, Ma Mary stays there. And she weeps. Outside the tomb, she's crying. The angels ask her, woman, why are you crying? And then the man she assumes to be the gardener, in verse 15, asks her, woman, why are you crying? Of course she's crying. The one she pinned her life on, her hopes on, has been crucified. Not only that, he's had the indignity of his body being stolen, so she thinks. Then she meets the risen Jesus. Jesus calls her name. Mary. In that moment, her whole life is turned around. Mary. It's exactly how Jesus said it. She recognizes him. Jesus tells Mary that he's still at work. He's not yet ascended to the Father. There's still work for him to be doing. And Jesus shows Mary that he has made a way for her to know God as her Father. 
Not just as an almighty power, but as an intimate, close father. I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God, Jesus says. So verse 18, we find that Mary begins out crying. And in verse 18, she's out again running to the disciples with that great announcement, I have seen the Lord. Now, many of you will know I've got a, a few children, and my youngest is a daughter, and she's called Madeline, Maddie to us. And the reason she's called Madeline is it comes from Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, because she is such a remarkable character. And it's my prayer for my daughter that she would, like Mary, know that Jesus is alive. Here we have the first witness, Mary, declaring, I have seen the Lord. You see, Jesus turns death to life, and it means Jesus can turn our tears to joy. It means this morning the risen Jesus knows your name. He knows you deeply. He loves you fully. Jesus is still at work. Right now, for his people, he is interceding for us before the Father. He continues to pour out His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our lives. And Jesus has done everything needed to open the door for us to know God as our Father. Does it mean uh, sad things won't happen to us? There'll be no reason to cry in our lifetimes? No. No, it won't. But it does mean in those moments when the tears are there, when the sadness hurts, we have one we can turn to in those moments. One who holds out a promise that there is a day coming when every single tear will be wiped away by God himself. Jesus turns death into life, which means our tears are turned into joy. And then we have the disciples. We heard as Margaret read, they're, they're in a locked room. They're terrified. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were terrified. If that's what they did to Jesus, what are they going to do to us? Those of us who declared that he was the true coming king. What's going to ha- it's the same going to happen to us, of course, they are terrified. Then they meet the risen Jesus. Jesus walks in. He looks them in the eye and says, peace be with you. You see, it's a peace that brings joy. And in verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's a peace that says they are forgiven because Jesus gives them this message to, to go out. He sends them out and he equips them with the Holy Spirit to go out and declare forgiveness. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. Not because they've got the power of forgiveness, but because they've got the power to declare the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples begin terrified. The doors locked, shaking in their boots. Two verses later, verse 21, we find them about to unlock the door and to go out to make it known that Jesus is alive. You see, fear here is turned into courage. Jesus turns death into life. He turns tears into joy. He turns fear into courage. This morning, 
Jesus continues to say to us, peace be with you. A peace that brings joy, no matter what is going on in your life. Joy that isn't just a smile on your face, but a deep-rooted, settled confidence and contentment. It means this morning, no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter what you have said, whatever you have done, what you thought, in Jesus, there is complete and total forgiveness. Now, does this mean there will be no reason in our lives to ever be afraid? That we'll never get scared again? No. What it does mean is that God, by His Holy Spirit, has given us the courage to face those things and to walk with Him through those times in our lives. And as we do so, to know that that Jesus has dealt with everything and defeated everything that stands behind our feet. Jesus turns death to life. He turns, he turns our tears to joy. He turns our fear to courage. And then there's Thomas. Thomas who missed out. He missed out on that moment in the room when Jesus appeared with the other disciples. He longed to be there who's full of doubts, who says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Then he met the risen Jesus. Jesus says exactly what he said to the other disciples so that Thomas hasn't missed out. Peace be with you. And notice how, how Jesus completely understands Thomas's doubts. He doesn't dismiss them. You see that? He says, verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put them into my side. He doesn't dismiss Thomas and say, what a lot of nonsense. You can see me, can't you? He invites Thomas exactly what he wants. But we're not told that Thomas takes him up on that. He doesn't need to. But Jesus does invite him to believe. Stop doubting, he says, and believe. So Thomas moves at the start from being, being a man of doubt and having a slightly unfortunate sort of nickname throughout church history of being Doubting Thomas to being a great man of faith. And in verse 28, standing up before Jesus, declaring, my Lord and my God. See, Jesus turns death to life. He turns our tears to joy, he turns our fear to courage, he turns our doubt to belief. This morning, any of you who come with your doubts, Jesus continues to speak that word of peace to you. He completely understands your doubts. He does not dismiss your doubts this morning. Instead, in our doubts, he invites us to come to the solid ground that we can build our faith on. That everything of the Christian faith flows from that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Without it, everything crumbles. With it, everything stands. Jesus turns death to life, which means tears are turned to joy. Fear is turned to courage. Doubt is turned to belief. And so this morning, if you're, you're here and, and perhaps you're not so sure about the resurrection, I want to say I'm really pleased you're here this morning. The second thing I want to say to you is that the accounts that we have, like John chapter 20, 
are, by any measure of any historical documents, really reliable guides. And it might be time to really dig into one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Read it over the next week. And see what happens. If you haven't got one, I'd love to give you one. But I suspect most of us are here and we do believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now you're in that 45% of people. Well, my prayer for you this morning is that you would fully know what that means for your life, that those times of tears can be turned into times of joy. Those times of fear can be turned into times of courage. Those times of doubts can be turned into belief. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'd love that to be true for me, but I'm like Thomas. I need to have had that experience, to have known the risen Jesus and seen him for myself. Well, no. The whole reason that Mary, the disciples, and Thomas got to see the risen Jesus was for people like me and people like you. These encounters were not just for them. They're there that they might go out and declare like Mary did. I have seen the Lord. That they might go out like the disciples were to, to proclaim forgiveness of sins. Uh, to go out with the knowledge As Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And if you're somebody who knows Jesus to be the one who turns death to life, who's turned your tears to joy, your fear to courage, uh, your doubt to faith, then we're to follow in their footsteps. We know the Lord to be alive. We know there is forgiveness in his name. We know there is blessing for those who have not seen and yet believe. May you know this, this Easter. May you make that known, this Easter. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for those great words of Mary. I have seen the Lord. Thank you. Uh, for those experiences of meeting uh, Jesus risen and what that means for us. Please, Lord, where there are tears and fears and doubts in our lives, would we know that Jesus is the one who turns uh, death into life? He can transform those tears and our fears and our doubts. Please, Lord, would you by your spirit be Enabling that transformation in each of our lives. Maybe for the first time. Maybe just to be continuing to do that work in us. Lord, would we leave here uh, this morning with a greater confidence of Jesus being alive and all that that means for each of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.